Okay. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we sometimes have orange hair, sometimes purple hair, an afro, a short wig. I'm Jordan Liggins. So I was watching the Hornets play the other night, and I noticed the diversity in hairstyles on the court. LaMelo had his curls bouncing. PJ Washington was rocking braids. Kelly Oubre had bleach dripping down his neck. And a few were like transitioning between hairstyles, which basically means they needed a haircut bad. And I couldn't stop thinking about the evolution of hairstyles the NBA has gone through in the past 75 years since the league's inception. I love looking back at old photos of Dennis Rodman's bleached leopard print hairdo or watching hardwood classics with the perfectly picked out afros of artist Gilmore and Dr. J. Shoot, even Bill Walton had an afro back then. Then it was the high top fades like Patrick Ewing and Kenny Skywalker. And then the low fade like Scottie Pippen. Then everyone had these designed cornrows like Mellow. Then it was that very weird Carlos Boozer painted hair moment that everyone couldn't stop talking about. To me, I think it looks pretty good, whatever it is, especially if he's trying out for the cast of Star Trek. And then in the late 2010s, there were those sponge top dreaded twists like Jimmy Butler. But now it's a little bit of everything. Naturals, straight backs, box braids, fades, and whatever Kevin Durant is doing, all sharing the court together. And when I was watching the game and noticing all these different hairstyles, I thought about my Aunt Shirlene. She's an 86-year-old NBA super fan from Tulsa, Oklahoma. She has witnessed so many NBA hairstyles throughout the decades of her Celtics fandom. Then I thought about her sister, my Gigi, who I consider my grandmother. I'll never forget the night Gigi taught me how to braid using a nylon, orange, and black utility rope. It was like my initiation into becoming a black woman. I was like 10, but still. To me, learning how to braid was like gaining superpowers. All those AAU basketball teams, I had the superpower to braid girls' bangs back into their ponytails. I had the power to give my teammates two boxer braids for game day. They weren't perfect, nor were they straight, but it was the team bonding and friendships that grew from that quality time, much like the salons and barbershops that NBA players frequent. As Black people, our hair is serious. It's more than just coily strands that grow from our scalp. It's an integral part of who we are. Hair isn't just hair for us. And because the NBA is already so intertwined with Black culture, it's beautiful to look out onto the hardwood and see our history and hair form on display. This is my ode to Black hair, to the players who were hair trendsetters, to the moms who had to touch up their kids' hair on the sidelines, to the young girls named Jordan watching from home. I'm going to break down my thoughts into five chapters. Let's get into it. And... Happy Black History Month.
When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Go to Indeed.com slash Spinsters to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Chapter 1. Braids. You know it's iconic when your name gets associated with the hairstyle. With my childhood nickname, Girly Girl, rocking two ponytails with bows, definitely stuck with me, for better or worse. Iverson braids was the most requested style in hair salons and barbershops across the country in the early 2000s. And the best part is it's not really one specific hairstyle. It's more like the aura and cool factor of an intricate, complex braiding pattern. People swore that if they got Iverson braids, that somehow their handles would magically improve. They did not. One iteration of Iverson braids were little braids connected to bigger braids that went straight back. The next era was cornrows that looked like someone drew squiggly lines on the back of his head. After that, he went full iconoclast, getting zigzag parts in between his braids. The NBA had never really seen anything like this before. Iverson was expressing himself through his fashion, which could be summed up as um, oversized, and his tattoos and his cornrows. The NBA didn't understand it. They called it thuggish and tried to ban these thuggish looks from the league. Then Commissioner David Stern specifically had a problem with it. And in October 2005, he initiated a mandatory dress code. It made players wear a suit and tie before and after games and during press conferences. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It was definitely targeted at a certain type of player. Here's Iverson talking about that David Stern situation in a Bleacher Report interview from last year. When him changing the dress code, it was like you taking the identity of these people away because nobody play the same. We don't play the same. We don't look the same. So why should we dress the same. Iverson was a representative of the culture. He was always going to show that off. Remember that incredible moment when AI's mom began braiding his hair mid-game? Yeah, me too. And how could I forget? That iconic picture graces my Twitter timeline every Mother's Day like clockwork. It was like all of our black moms or aunties or grandmas redoing our hair because it wasn't up to par. And the thing is, 20 years ago, his cornrows were groundbreaking for a professional athlete. They changed basketball culture. But cornrows weren't anything new. My name is Dr. Tamika Ellington, and I am a speaker, entrepreneur, author, and fashion scholar. Dr. Tamika is the co-creator and author of Textures, the History and Art of Black Hair. It's a current museum exhibition at Kent State University, and its catalog features over 150 artifacts focused on black hair. I called her to give us a quick black history lesson on cornrows and how they came to be. Cornrows are so important to our history. They actually date back to ancient Egyptian times. So you can find beautiful ancient Egyptian artwork with cornrows. There was an ancient civilization back in 500 BC called the Mount Tribe, and they were in Nigeria. 
And if you look back at some of the artwork, the sculptures, you'll actually see braids. You'll see cornrows in the hair of these sculptures. And when Africans were brought over on the transatlantic slave trade, the slaves tried their best to keep up with a lot of the heritage, you know, from their tribal cultures. Of course, it was difficult because a lot of that we weren't allowed to hold on to. But one of the things that we were able to maintain a little bit is the art of braiding hair. And the name cornrow actually comes from the agricultural aspects of slavery. So in the U.S., many slaves planted corn and they planted them in rows. But when you go to the Caribbean, a lot of them, they actually planted sugar cane. So the hairstyle in the Caribbean is called cane rolls. She also told me cornrows were used as storage and as a secret hiding place. Many slaves, when they were brought over, or I should say enslaved people, when they were brought over to various parts of the world, they would hide seeds and other grains and pieces of gold in their hair. They would part the hair, they would put the grains or the gold in their hair and then braid that up. And that's how they were able to bring over certain uh, grains that we have today, like okra and all that. Okra, you know, is something that started in Africa. And that now is something that's the staple for Southern cuisine, right? And so it's amazing. Our history, our story with braids, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing history. Now, I don't think Iverson's direct intention was to pay homage to his African roots in this way. Everybody was making a big deal about my cornrows. Like, I was tired of people fucking my hair up on the road. You know what I mean? Like, they, I was getting haircuts and they were destroying. I was like, okay, if I just grow my hair out and get cornrows, then I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And that was the only reason I did it. It ain't had nothing to do with me trying to look like a thug. I was just tired of people messing my hair up. But it was still liberating as a fan and as a Black person to see AI fight to hold on to this idea that he could be himself and this elite professional basketball player. Iverson is a Hall of Famer because he's one of the best guards to ever do it. And for that time, he crossed MJ. But bringing cornrows to arenas around the world like he did made him a legend to us. Our heritage is a part of who we are and how we convey ourselves without saying a word. There shouldn't be a ban on that. Chapter two, like Mike. We know Iverson influenced cornrows, but here's a question. What do you think Michael Jordan has influenced the most? Shoes? Money's gotta be the shoes. 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 You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mark. Sports movies. Come on and slam and welcome to the town. Dunk contests. Just in front of that line. Look at this. The double clutch, the reach out, and the stuff. He got 49. I don't believe it. Or memes. That's all I needed for him to do that. And it, it became personal with me. His airness was the definition of a trendsetter. The world copied when he sported longer basketball shorts, when he broke the dress code with red, black, and white sneakers, and when he accessorized with the hoop earring in his left ear. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. Sometimes I 
In early 1989, though, after fighting with his receding hairline, Mike decided to shave it all off. He went bald. Now, in 2022, a fresh bald head isn't anything that would make you do a double take. But according to writer Glenn O'Brien in GQ, quote, without Michael Jordan, there would be no Ving Rhames, no hair-free Samuel L. Jackson, no chrome dome Shaquille O'Neal, no cue ball Kobe, no glabrescent Vin Diesel, end quote. The confidence to don a shiny scalp came from MJ. Even though players like Kareem had shaved heads years prior, it hit different when Michael did it. He somehow made it cool, like with everything else he touched. Through all my research for this episode on the most popular hairstyles in the NBA's 75 years, MJ's bald head continually made the top of lists. So to completely understand what this change meant for the league and to truly put in perspective how groundbreaking this hairless hairstyle was, I called the most reputable bald person I know. Do you want to introduce yourself first? I definitely can. My name is Gerald Liggins. I am Jordan Liggins' favorite dad. <laughs> God. <laughs> That's all, you're already starting out with a dad joke. As a teenager in the 70s, my dad's afro made him at least five inches taller. It wouldn't always fit under his football helmet, though. So his big fro transitioned to a mini fro. And then I kind of wore that until I actually pledged in college. And once I pledged in college, we were asked, yeah, we were asked, maybe not so politely, to totally cut our hairs off. I was really looking forward to growing my hair back out once I stopped pledging, once I crossed into the great fraternity of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Yo, yo! Oh, gosh. Actually, the family rumor that's been going around for over 20 years is that I took all of his hair. In 1994, when I was born, at the height of Michael Jordan's reign, hence my name, my dad coincidentally began losing his hair. And as I continued to grow, my dad's hair continued to not. And then after the high top fade era, I started noticing my high top wasn't getting as high anymore. So I had to start getting it cut down a little bit closer to the head so it couldn't be as high. Then you started noticing that it was getting thinner. And so that was the evolution of just starting to get it closer and closer to the head. Even though for a short while there, a white Sox baseball cap was covering MJ's smooth dome, I straight up asked my dad if Michael Jordan inspired him to finally let it all go. You know, I didn't actually think about Michael Jordan or that being the catalyst for me rocking the ball head initially. When you're losing your hair, it's, there's no real justification for it in your mind. You can't, you don't wake up and go, cool, I'm losing my head. This is great. Fantastic. I mean, you know, it, you just don't go through that. <laughs> you go through that denial period, you know, you go through all the seven stages, denial, fear, crying, curled up into a ball in, in the corner crying. You know, you do you go through all that stuff. But seeing Michael Jordan do the things that he did and being kind of an iconic figure out there in the world at that time and rocking the ball head. It definitely made it easier for us guys to, you know, make that transition to just start shaving it. 
I came to terms with that at some point around that same time. And it just so happened that Michael Jordan made it look cool. And Michael Jordan made it look normal, right? He kind of normalized the whole thing, especially for Black men. Now, one thing my dad will always remind you is... Not everybody can rock the ball head, you know? Not everybody can. You got to kind of have the right head to rock the ball head. But I was fortunate at, you know, I don't know, my mama, when I was little, rubbed my head right because um, I'm, I'm able to rock the ball head okay. I've already pointed out how the NBA influenced trends and vice versa. But again, this seemed different. Soon, shiny heads were popping up everywhere. The next year, the Sixers' Charles Barkley accepted his fate and went bald. Then Clyde the Glide Drexler. And when Michigan's Chris Webber and Jalen Rose shaved their heads in 1993, it was a style choice rather than out of necessity like MJ and my dad. It does seem to be a lost art in today's NBA because LeBron is holding on to every growing hair follicle for dear life. Michael Jordan's influence is unparalleled. We know this. But I feel like we always talk about how his Nike Air Jordans became the most expensive basketball shoe ever and how he still has a commanding chokehold on sneakerheads worldwide. We talk about how everybody but John Stockton hopped on the long shorts train. But it's time we put some respect on his baldness. Also, just to get on record, you did have a bald head and a hoop earring. In my left ear, for sure. <laughs> for sure. You had to have a hoop earring if you had, he was rocking the, the shiny head, you know? You had to have it. Definitely. Those went together like peanut butter and jelly. Chapter 3. Hairline Fracture. Barbers are a cornerstone in the Black community. I remember growing up going with my dad to drop off and pick up my brother from the neighborhood barbershop. Even at that young age, I understood that this was a hot spot for the culture, where bad sports takes should be checked at the door. And if you had anywhere you needed to be immediately after your appointment, cancel it. What should be a 30-minute haircut will at least take two hours. And for NBA players, this sacred environment of a barbershop still rings true. A barber in a Black man's life, period, is probably one of the three most influential people in a Black man's life. You have a pastor, you have your barber, and a parent. Typically, these are the things that are the guys that influence Black males. That's Marcus Harvey, a world-renowned celebrity barber hailing from the ATL. He's cut everyone from Nas to Grant Hill to LeBron James. He told me that sometimes in the Black community, a barber is the first entrepreneur that a young boy meets. Especially for Coopers. What I've come to find out, even in being an OG now, I cut a lot of young youth, you know, from the fathers, like bringing their sons there. We're the ones who build the confidence for that young man to go to the NBA a lot of times. Like from the conversations of how did you play last game? To the conversations of, are you listening to your father? Are you listen to your coaches? The conversations of, specifically with me and like with me having NBA players as well as, you know, young ascending future NBA players, you know, in my chair, you know, just being able to kind of like point them in the right path. I called him to help me best explain the player barber relationship. 
and what really goes on in the barber chair. Let's go. And you guys know I'm the NBA hair guy, so it's only right. NBA games occupy our TV almost every night, even dating back to tape delays. The way that the NBA hair goes, the way that the rest of the league, or the rest of the world, and Black culture specifically goes, the NBA is pretty much seen every night. More than most rappers back in the day, you would see an athlete more often than you would see a rapper in a real live appearance, you know what I'm saying? We talked about the NBA hair phases over time, from George Gervin's tight fro to the dripping jerry curls of yesteryear, which, by the way, was definitely a hazard on the court, right? Carmelo's braids to James Harden single-handedly making beards cool again. A barber's role is intertwined in all of it. Take the 2020 NBA bubble, for example. When Adam Silver decided to place 22 teams in Walt Disney World for up to four months during a global pandemic, barbers and hair braiders had to be a part of the plan. It was essential. So they built three barbershops in the bubble, and they each became a congregation of familiarity for the players. The barbers would have movies like Space Jam and Like Mike playing on a loop. They had a safe space to talk about their feelings of what was going on in the world during that time. And they didn't have quarantine hair anymore. Let's face it. NBA players are just as vain as the rest of us. They're on national TV in 4K. They have brands to uphold. They gotta look good. Or, as the saying goes, You look good, you play good, you play good, you get paid good. Ooh, I like that. That's always been the thing, you know, you you gotta finish that thing off. You play good, you get paid good. But what happens when the hair is um, not looking so good? The headbands for some NBA players have only gotten thicker as their playing career goes on. What used to be flourishing kinks or curls or waves seem to be missing a few pieces. Nothing's wrong with this, by the way. It's just mother nature and father time linking up. But you'd be surprised by some of the lengths that players go to to uphold their standard of beauty. If you think about it, NBA players live a very luxurious life. They ride around in luxury. They take luxurious flights. They have lavish shopping sprees. And the players these days don't let it stop there. I think also a new maybe trend that's happening is kind of like this. I don't even know what you call it. You can give me the proper terms but like the hairline restoration fill-ins or so oh, yeah. because it's like <laughs> you got to make sure that you're looking good if it's maybe not fully filled in or yeah. full naturally do you go in and fill that in for them to make sure that they're looking all put together so right now i would say this i force myself to be a natural cutter especially with athletes just due to the fact that typically they're going to sweat out whatever you're going to put in. If you do put in any type of like, you know, temporary enhancements, thing that some players, I won't name some players or whom players or whomever. Some people have gotten, you know, their hairline tattooed before. Some people have gotten, you know, plugs, you know, especially with the technology now and the amounts of wealth that these gentlemen have. There's people who even go to Turkey. There's actually like hair restoration clinics in Turkey. Like the cats would fly out and stay for days to get the actual surgery, you know, 
if they can bring back an ACL and an Achilles, they can definitely bring back a spotty corner hairline. You know what I'm saying? So Cass is trying to rehab everything. This is what they're used to. So they don't mind being out six to eight weeks with a fractured hairline as long as they can get that thing fixed. Yep, you heard that right. We have coined a new meaning for the term hairline fracture. Expected to show up on NBA teams' injury reports this season and beyond. But what I find fascinating is that the barbers, they're vain too. And they should be when it comes to their work. The shop is their arena. Their barber chair is their domain. And crafting a fresh cut is like hitting a game winner. But a basic rush cut or a style that's not up to par, that's like missing clutch free throws in the playoffs. And the internet will not hold back. I gave two superstars. Like I said, they was in some rushing type of situations. I gave them basic haircuts. They had to sit on the bench. Man, folks are like, who gave this person this basic haircut? I was like, y'all don't even like his haircut when it's not basic. What y'all talking about? So yeah, they'll let you know. They will let you know. that Even if you're a great celebrity barber, they'll let you know if you're a 20-time All-Star MVP, they will let you know and make you feel so small. On the flip side of that, though, when Marcus gave Clay Thompson a fresh cut before a game six and Clay looked in the mirror and said, I'm going to drop 40 tonight and then proceeds to actually score 40 points. It's almost like having a great haircut is an unfair advantage. It should be illegal. Literally a haircut just like it's like a superpower. It's like instead of testing players for enhancing steroids, they should test them for their haircut. And they should be like, okay, your haircut's too fresh. We're not gonna let you play tonight because you're gonna kill somebody. You know what I'm saying? That's what it should be. And that's pretty much how I feel about it. Coming up, hair that heals and how stats and blonde hair don't always mix. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with the $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com spinsters. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash Finsters to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash Finsters. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Chapter 4. Hair that heals. Hey guys, this section includes discussions about child abuse and sexual assault. Please sit this one out if you need to. With the 18th pick in the 2018 NBA Draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Lonnie Walker IV from the University of Miami. When Lonnie Walker IV got called by Adam Silver in the first round of the 2018 draft, he did the same thing that everyone else had done before him. He grabbed his shiny new silver and black San Antonio Spurs hat 
and plopped it on his head. But because of his outstretched hair, it looked as if it was floating through midair. His hair was tall. It was a culmination of short dreadlocks shaped together like a clay sculpture. It flopped back and forth with each step, and one stray dread curled down in front like a bang. The internet proceeded to compare his do to the exasperated high-top fade of Gerald from the old Nickelodeon show, Hey Arnold. They said it was pineapple-esque, too. Spurs again get it back here as Patty Mills gives Lonnie oh, Walker. No! Oh, my goodness! What a dunk! Honestly, I wouldn't have trusted the scouting report. It listed Walker at 6'4", but with that hair, I'm going with a solid 6'8". Despite his ups and downs with minutes and averages over the past four seasons with the Spurs, he has become a beloved role player for the team. But the one constant thing through it all has been his hair. And then there was a new thing going on where people used to use the sponge type of thing that curled your hair. And I did that one day and I believe I had an advanced chemistry test the next day and I got really nervous. I was up all night and I started to twist my hair. And then out of nowhere, it just became this new type of style that people started digging with. On June 11, 2020, he informed the world that it was more to it than that. Here's me reading Walker's Instagram caption. It has been edited for clarity. The real truth as to why I started doing this early in fifth grade, it was a cloaking device for me. During the summer of my fifth grade year, I was around more family. Some that names will be left alone. I was sexually harassed, raped, abused, I even got accustomed to it because being at that age, you don't know what is what. I was a gullible, curious kid that didn't know what the real world was. Walker grew up in Redding, Pennsylvania, roughly 60 miles northwest of Philadelphia. His neighboring streets were polluted with crime, drugs, and violence. He was constantly surrounded by situations he wasn't able to control. So... He found something he could. I had a mindset that my hair was something I can control. My hair was what I can make and create and be mine. And it gave me my confidence. His hair helped him cope. It became an outlet of expression throughout grade school. Walker could be seen strutting through the halls with a red mohawk or an old school flat top. And by his senior year at Reading High School, his high-flying dunks became synonymous with his high tresses. It was his art. During his third season with the Spurs, the pandemic hit. Gameplay stopped and quarantining began. With that time alone came haunting memories of the past. As of recently, I wasn't at my best. Previous history popping up in my head and it sucked mentally. Demons. Because of this virus, I began to truly look at myself in the mirror and see who I truly was, even behind closed doors. And in June, Walker decided to cut off his hair. He shared a video of a barber buzzing off the top in one swoop. Walker's hand covered his face as the clumps of hair fell to the floor. I have found peace and internal happiness through this journey, God willingly. 
I forgave everyone, even the people that don't deserve it. Why? Because it's dead weight. Time doesn't wait on anyone, so why should I waste my time on it? Me cutting my hair was more than a cut. My hair was a mask of me hiding the insecurities that I felt the world wasn't ready for. But now, better than ever, out with the old, in with the new. I have shed my skin mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Life will always be hard. Gotta play with the cards you're dealt with and try to make a winning hand. And if you lose, it's never a loss. It's a lesson. Just know I love each and every one of y'all. Peace, love, and happiness. The following week, the Lonnie Walker Foundation partnered with the Family Violence Prevention Services to put on a virtual art auction. The money raised went to those impacted by abuse and to educate the community. Among the art to be auctioned was an illustration titled Revoked Cloak by Spurs artist Brian Ellenbo. It showed Walker shooting a jump shot in the forefront and behind him a shadow of his past self. Drawn into the shadow's high-rise hairstyle were words like shame, depression, and damage tangled into his dreadlocks. The tagline read, Your past will always be a part of you, but it must not define. Lonnie Walker has always been uniquely Lonnie Walker. He was encouraged to try different creative outlets early on. Musical instruments, painting, basketball. He'd love to chat with you about NASA. He once donated over 300 pairs of shoes to a basketball league in his hometown. He's passionate about animals too and can tell you countless National Geographic facts unprompted like how male ostriches can roar as loud as lions. It's true. But Walker was also carrying this extra weight atop his head and upon his shoulders. When he cut his hair, pounds of trauma shed with it. When you go to the salon to get a trim, stylists recommend cutting off dead ends. Those hairs are no longer serving you, they say. It's extra, weighing you down. Lonnie Walker IV cut those dead ends so he could heal. It gave way for new, healthy strands to grow, new memories to take shape. And he's still in control. Chapter 5, Hair Spiracy Corner. It could be said that Allen Iverson wasn't the same once he cut his braids three days before the 2009 All-Star Game. This was his lowest scoring All-Star game of his career with only two points. Was it because of his hair change? I think so. Was it because that it was his last NBA season before he retired? That's besides the point. This is Hairspiracy Corner, where I connect the dots to prove my theory to be correct. NBA players' on-court stats are directly affected by their hairstyle changes. To prove it, it's time to examine my person of interest, Kyle Alexander Kuzma, who is truly one of one. Yeah, they had a sign. They had a sign up that said uh, LeBron won uh, Kuzma his ring. I said, uh, you know, without LeBron, Cleveland wouldn't be shit. While Kuzma was on the Los Angeles Lakers in 2019 to 2020, he changed his hair eight times. The final change of the season coming in March 2020. 
My theory is his streakiness as a player directly coincides with his sporadic hair changes. For my research, I cross-examined Instagram posts with Getty images to match the specific dates the hair changes took place, then matched his statistics with basketball reference to calculate his averages. Let's dig in. On November 1st, 2019, Kuzma made his Lakers season debut after sitting out with an ankle injury for the first four games of the season. He was rocking a fade with his natural curls on top in jet black. He kept this hairstyle for a three-game stretch, averaging only seven points and shooting a dismal 12.5% from three. So what does Kuzma do? He switches it up. Starting on November 8, 2019 against Miami, Kuzma is seen sporting individuals, aka individual braids. He's wearing a wave cap during shoot-around, and as Lakers fans, we're thinking, this guy is a menace. Kuzma then changes his hair back to a curly top fade from earlier in the month for the next three games. He does add a V-shaped taper to the back of his hair, and it seems to really make a difference. This is a very good stretch for him. Not only do the Lakers win all three games, but Kuzma is averaging almost 50% from three and 20 points per game. If only he kept his hair the same. November 17th to the 23rd, fuckboy braids. If you are unfamiliar, check the hairstyle of the last guy who didn't text you back. That's them. Kuzma's averaging 9.3 points and shoots 46% from three. November 25th to December 4th, mini afro with headband. He averages eight points, 36% from the field, and 38% from three. Yikes. By December 6th, he's had enough and shaves it off. He sports a low, wavy buzz cut. Over six games and the entire month of December, he averaged 14.5 points, 36% from three, and a plus-minus of four. However, he does finish 2019 with his first career zero-point game after 26 minutes of playing time. Not a great way to end the year. And then, there was Slim Kuzi. Kuz with a new hair, well, I don't know, style, color, everything. More the color. More the color. And I think it's more the, the way he ended 2019. He didn't yeah. like the way he ended 19 says, so let me change up some stuff. First time he's ever been scored. January 1st, 2020, Kuzma bleached his hair platinum blonde. Think Cisco. Think Justin Timberlake circa 2002. Think Eminem. In a post-game interview, Kuzma reasoned that this drastic hair change was because, quote, I'm not a boring person, end quote. I'd let you listen to him say it himself, but Danny Green was blasting Mary J. Blige in the locker room that day, and for copyright reasons, we can't play that clip. <sighs> I hate you, Danny Green. But you know what remained boring? His shooting. He was all over the place. One night, he'd score four points, and the next, he'd have a season-high 36. For months, Lakers fans were on this blonde roller coaster. Take the month of January. He personified New Year, New Me. He actually upheld his career average of 15 points. His confidence was through the roof. He increased his shot attempts per game and his tunnel fit picks were at an alarming daily rate. But the shooting. 
In January, he fell under 30% again from beyond the arc. And he misfires again. Kyle Kuzma having an extremely miserable, just nightmarish shooting night. As his hair's dark roots began to grow out in February, it only got worse for Kuzma's stat line. He was clinging to 10 points a game by March, and trade rumors began to resurface. But on the afternoon of March 2nd, after barely surviving the trade deadline, Kuz posted a photo revealing he had dyed his hair back to black. His then-teammate DeMarcus Cousins commented, quote, the power of prayer, end quote. And I, along with everyone else, rejoiced. It's over, guys. <laughs> All you Laker fans, and even you don't even have to be a Laker fan. You look at his head and everybody hated it. What? But the, the hair's gone. Yay! JT Kuzma is out of the building. He has gone back to JT. black hair. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yes, it right. In conclusion, my findings support that my theory of sporadic hair changes negatively affects a player's shooting percentages. A key takeaway is, if you're going through a shooting slump, bleaching your hair is never the answer, but shaving it off and adding a taper may be. To further my case, Kuzma brought back the blonde hair one year later in March 2021. The Lakers went 11 and 14 during those blonde days. He shot worse from the field and airballed a free throw, twice. Rice, an air ball from Kuzma. About a week ago, he shot the technical foul for the Lakers and shot an elbow. That's the first time I had seen that in my entire life. I'm sure when the Lakers traded Kuzma to the Washington Wizards in July, this was the type of data and cold hard facts that was used to back their decision. Leading up to the All-Star break, Kuzma has been consistent with his low jet black fade hairstyle. The clean, simple cut, I believe, is the reason he had a four-game stretch with over 20 points. He's having, arguably, the best season of his career. So on that note, Wizards fans and to the Wizards organization, you better hope he doesn't go blonde. My signature look these days is an extra-large curly afro. I officially went natural in 2009 after about 50 hours of YouTube tutorials convincing me to. I think subconsciously going natural was a way to make me taller on the basketball court. You think I'm joking, but in college, I literally said this on live TV to a local news anchor. He completely went off script and asked me how tall I was. And I said, uh, uh, five, five, but really five, seven because of my hair. It was so embarrassing. At first, I went natural because, honestly, I got tired of paying a hairstylist way too much money to straighten my hair, only for me to sweat it out the next day hooping. But then, old head hoopers started commenting on my hair more and more, and I grew to love it. They'd say how it reminded them of a certain era of basketball when everyone donned a fro. They told me that, it wasn't only because it looked cool on the court, but it sent a message.
In the late 60s and early 70s, when Afros filled NBA arenas, it directly derived from what was going on off the court. The Black Power movement was all about racial pride, and with that came the rid of European beauty standards. It was a movement of saying no to perms and chemicals to straighten our hair to look more white. It was about taking our power back and showing off the curls and coils our hair naturally makes. When those players padded their froze at post-game press conferences, it wasn't just about style. Even though they looked pretty damn good. You too, Bill Walton. Hair is more than just hair for us. Iverson's braids created a cultural phenomenon. Michael Jordan's sleek baldness helped men, especially black men, embrace this new phase of their destined hair journey. Barbers are community therapists and hair heroes wrapped up in one big bundle of codependence. Lonnie Walker IV personified how hair can be a form of healing. Kuzma's blonde hair wrecked his shooting percentage. And for me, my hairstyles are a continuous love letter to the culture. It's serious, on and off the hardwood. As I watch this next generation of NBA stars play, I don't know what hairstyles will define the next decade. But what I do know is I love our hair and all of the history that comes with it. This episode of Spinsters was written and reported by me, Jordan Liggins. Our editor is Isabel Jocelyn with production by Harry Krinsky, Misha Jones, Alex Ward, Buffy Gorilla, and Isabel. Fact-checking by Mary Mathis. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard, and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and Haley O'Shaughnessy. Hi, Jordan and Haley. This is Luke calling from Rhode Island. First time, long time. Uh, big fan of the show so far and been a fan of both your writings um, for a while now. Um, I just finished the most recent episode, and I have to say, you must make Aunt Charlene a ro- rotating guest. I know from, from following her that Jordan's a Lakers fan. Hearing some Lakers Celtic smack talk between her and her lovely aunt would make a fantastic addition to the regular show lineup. So please, please bring her back. Love the show so far. Thank you so much, guys.